So I'm Andy, one of the elders here, and Pete Wiles uh, got up and shared a psalm. We had a, a recent uh, discussion amongst us, a few guys, about what's your favourite psalm. And I, I stole Psalm 8, and Pete, Pete Wiles said, oh, you stole my one. But, but there's wonderful psalms, but I just want to read um, Psalm 8 to us. Let's see if this works. That looks helpful. Yep, Psalm 8. There's a few extracts from it, the whole thing. But, oh Lord, oh Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. When I look at the heavens, your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? You, you, you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honour. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet. O oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. That psalm, if you let it sink in, it, it's mind-blowing. Yeah? The, the, the God who creates everything that you possibly conceivably see. And remember back this time, there was no telescopes, there was no Hubble. They couldn't see past what they could see. They were saying, everything I can see, and now you can see now, today, even more, because we get all this stuff from space telescopes that we can see. We go out for all of that stuff created by God who wants to know you, who cares for you. I just get blown away that of the 7.5 billion people on this planet, he knows me, he cares for me, um, he is mindful of me. That is, that is just stunning, that the God who creates all things is mindful. Do we really get that? And it was interesting what was brought up this morning by Matt and others. You know, sometimes we sing this stuff and it's like, that's a nice tune, nice tune, I like that. And that's quite an uplifting, but, but, but think about what we're singing sometimes. It's just amazing, stunning that we would really get it because there's times in our lives when we don't feel it. It's what was being said or we don't act like we appreciate just how amazing and stunning the gospel is. And it's not just that, that he knows us. Because of the word, we get to know him. Because of the spirit, we get to know him too. He's in a relationship with us. And so we're going to keep using Exodus. Exodus has been a great series we're in at the moment. We're kind of at a moment when everything's going to transition in a moment because there's, God's going to show up in person. When they were doing the laying out all the things, I was like, ah. Oh. Alex got that one. Alex has got the one when the burning bush, God turns up and literally, I'll say in person, but God turns up as a burning bush and speaks. But, but before that, there's layers and layers of understanding what God's doing. And it's been coming out this morning about our patience, our prayer life. How do we expect God to kind of turn up? And I want to bring up three things. And I'm going to do this. This is going to be heresy for some people. But I want you to think like this is a dating app. And I'm going to talk to you about three characteristics of God. Okay, so the three characteristics I want to talk about is that he is constantly attentive, he is totally trustworthy, and he's reassuringly unchanging. Then you can add to that, that he turns up exactly at the right time when we need him, he is unfazed by our weaknesses, he's gracious, yet he is not blind to our failings, he is present in the mundane and in the challenging. So without seeing a picture, because you shouldn't see pictures of God, just to be clear, learn that in the Trinity course, you'd swipe right, okay? Just on the character. Sorry, dating app reference there. That's like, yes, I like that one. That's the character and the nature of who it is we're talking about. There was this film, this is getting even more... Uh, heretical probably for some people. There was this film called Shallow Howl uh, about 19, 20 years ago. And the basis of Shallow Howl was that he was hypnotized 
by Tim Robbins, I think, who's a motivational speaker, weird film. Anyway, but he was hypnotized by him and he could only see people's character, their nature in physical form. So when he saw someone, he didn't see how they looked, he saw their inner beauty as in their character. And so uh, Gwyneth Paltrow uh, was actually beautiful because inside the character she was playing was beautiful. And that, and that, we can't see God, but we can see his nature. We can see his character. And so when we start to think about that, and when you think about beauty reflected, not in outward appearance, but in nature and in character, this song that I have sung so many times, it's an old song, you may not know it, suddenly makes a lot more sense. You are beautiful beyond description, too marvelous for words, too wonderful for comprehension, like nothing ever seen or heard. Who can grasp your infinite wisdom, who can fathom the depths of your love, you are beautiful beyond description, majesty enthroned above. And I stand, I stand in awe of you. I love that song because it sounds like to me, the guy who writes it, Mark Altrog, Altrog, is literally going, don't know what to write. Don't know how to describe you. So I'm going to try and describe you without being able to describe. I'm not going to write a song about how I can't say how beautiful you are, how marvellous you are. I'm going to write a song about I can't say that, but I'll say it in a song when I can't say it, which is... Yeah, I'm going to get a loop here if I don't get careful. But the point is that he's trying to wrestle with this fact that there is such beauty in the nature and the character of God that should just take our breaths away. Um, I called this 222 swipe right, this kind of uh, sermon today. The 222 bit is because I'm going to, we're just going to use two verses of Exodus. They're the two that, that uh, Yost finished on last week. I'm going to pick them up again and do a bit more on those two from Exodus 2. And I'm going to bring out two fundamental points. Um, so let's just um, slide back for a moment into Exodus and look at the, the verses we're going to do. So um, this is the verse we're going to look at, which is just the last um, two. It said, during those many days, the king of Egypt died and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God and God heard their groaning and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel and God knew. So the things I'm going to explore is the, the nature of God and the relationship that we have with God. So just a quick recap, if you're not familiar with Exodus, I'll just do a very quick recap of the story so far, because it's been a great story so far. So you've got the, the uh, Israelites, the Hebrews, they have been in exile in Egypt for about 400 years. New king comes along, a pharaoh who does not trust them because once they were 70, they were like the family um, of Jacob. There were about 70 of them. Um, they come in, they're, they're getting to millions now and he, do, he doesn't trust them because they're different. And so he starts to suppress them initially with slavery, tries to beat them down, get them under control. Then he gives an edict to kill the babies of the Hebrew, the sons of the Hebrew family. So all the boys are going to get killed. So that will basically deplete the Hebrews eventually and also weaken them um, as a people straight away. So that's what's been going on. One who escapes that, uh, you, if you were here, you watched the very poorly uh, uh, Prince of Egypt version of how he escaped that. But Moses is the one that's one of the ones that escapes that. 
Um, Moses grows up as Pharaoh's uh, grandson with all the privileges, kills an Egyptian uh, outside and then runs away realizing that he is now in trouble because he has killed an Egyptian and some people seen him. He ends up in a place called Midian. Um, I'm reliably informed Midian is like running away to Luton. Sorry if you're from Luton. Um, but, it, but it's a place of no consequence. Sorry, there might be someone here from Luton. That's probably a bad thing to say. Um, uh, so it's Watford, all right? We're... we're, we're <laughs> That's going to get me in a lot of trouble. But he goes to a place of just like nowhere, really, and ends up in Midian, gets married. Um, he's there for 40 years, gets married, has two children, Gershom and Eliza. Gershom means sojourner or alien, sort of foreigner in a land, which is his issue. That's his reality. Um, and Eliza actually means God is my helper. So it's kind of the two things. I'm lost here, but God is my helper. Um, and we read this, so we read this. During those many days, the king of Egypt died and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery. The point there is that the evil Pharaoh died. So the one that had been oppressing them, I think this is feeding back, it would died. Um, and, and they thought, well, now there's a change of government, change of Pharaoh, hopefully everything will get better. But it didn't. It just carried on as bad as it was before. So governments and systems changing didn't alter their situation. And the cruelty continued. And the people continue, therefore, to cry out. So we're going to unpack a little bit um, of where that takes us in our understanding of the unchanging nature of God um, who's revealed in Exodus. Um, so I want to explore those characteristics that I mentioned before. Um, so we're going to start with constantly attentive. Um, this is my wife, Jane. Is that here? Um, she and Alexa don't get on. <laughs> she thinks Alexa flirts with me and ignores her. She says stuff to Alexa, like something like, um, uh, what's the time in Ankara? And Alexa says, would you like me to order Anchor Butter? <laughs> to which Jane responds in a way that I hope Alexa's not really listening, because she responds and shouts at Alexa, which resolves nothing. Alexa sits there quietly like that, you rant on. I walk up and say, what's the time in Anchor Alexa? She goes, Andy, it's 6.23. Have a lovely day. <laughs> but for some reason, my voice and Alexa's fine. Jane's voice and Alexa is a... See, look at that look on her face. Um, um, the thing that really freaks us out, though, people get some conspiracy theories about Alexa, though, is the fact that it's always having to listen for you to say its name. That's its design. People say there's people around the world listening to all... Do you really think people are sitting around listening to us talk to Alexa? Do you think that's really going on? Um, of course they're not. But, um, well, conspiracy theories have fun after tea and coffee. But the point is that but Alexa has to be going, I'm listening. And that's why she's called Alexa, by the way, if you've never figured that out. It's because it's not like any word you would say in natural conversation. So you say the word, which is sometimes you'll say, you know, I'd like to go drive her home in my Alexis, and suddenly it'll wake up, yeah, because it thinks you said Alexa. But Pete owns Alexis, by the way. Um, but the point of that is that it's always listening out for its name to be called. Um, so sacrilegious. Matt Nell's going to wring my neck after this. But God's like an aligned, a divine Alexa. There you go, I've said it. So, uh, so all the LST people are going, did he really say that? But it's that kind of thing that, that God is listening all the time for you to call on his name. He's not, what? Did someone mention my name? Shout a bit louder, reconfirm that you actually said me, and I will answer you. The time in Ankara is, no. But, but, but God is constantly listening for those that cry out for, to him. 
And what's being pointed out in Exodus is therefore stunning, a, a, a sort of reconfirmation of that. God is always listening to the cries of his people. He's listening for us. God can hear me. I don't know if that just washes over you like, uh-huh. But there's times I'm thinking, God can hear me. He can hear me. God can. God heard their cries. He was listening. We need to get excited about the fact that God is listening. Continually attentive. When we stand in the circle on a Sunday morning and pray. When you pray at home, we pray at 10 o'clock, by the way, uh, as a little group about the morning. It was really good this morning. God is listening. When you're on your knees in your bedroom or, or sat at the dining table praying, God is listening. When we gather as a church to get together as a corporate group to say we are all want to say the same thing to God together, don't come to a prayer meeting thinking, I'm not getting much out of this. I don't think I'll go much more. You're standing with your brothers and sisters saying, this is what we want for our town. God is listening. The Israelites prayed for, well, not hundreds of years, because the first few hundred were pretty good, but for year after year, get us out of here. We've prayed for year after year, save Watford. Are we done with that? Are we finished? Have we got bored of crying out for that? Do we not care anymore? God is listening, and I care about this town. And I wasn't born here. I'm from Harrow. I'm posh. No, but (laughs) people say, where are you educated? I say, I was educated at Harrow. Really grubby school in Harrow, but it sounds good. But, but. My heart is to see this town reached for the gospel. My heart is to see this town transformed and the surrounding areas and then the nation as a whole. Do I pray that a few times and then say, he's not really doing it, I'm done. God is listening. He's looking for the hearts of his people to be aligned. This point, he says, this is the time I'm going to move. I've heard your cries and I believe God has heard our cries for this church and this town and this nation. And at some point, as Gareth pointed out, God's going to move. God is going to move. God saw the people of Israel and he knew. As Yost um, did an excellent preach last week, if you didn't hear it, please listen. But, but he really brought out the fact that God knew on an intimate level what was going on, knew the people on an intimate level, that deep, intimate knowledge. He hears us, he sees us, he knows us intimately. Mind blown. Swipe right. God, who is constantly attentive, he is also totally trustworthy. So, apparently there are three signs of old age. One is memory loss. I've lost the other two. <laughs> but the point is, the, the one thing I try to model in my life is to be consistent and trustworthy. There's one characteristic that I am very determined in my family life, in my church life with you guys, is to be consistent and to be trustworthy. Um, because, and I know why, because when I grew up, I was seven or eight years old, and my, I had the strangest childhood, very difficult. My, and just, I don't know if you've heard me share this before, if I haven't, just be prepared for something quite weird. You can imagine two couples who are best friends. Well, they swap partners. I'm the child of one of these. My friend, Joe, is now my stepsister. My, the friend of, is now my stepmom or my stepdad, and it's very confusing, and it's very unstable, and it goes very volatile. And it doesn't work out. You can imagine the, the tension going on in that scenario of people like literally at each other's throats because I don't know who did what. I never found out. I was too young. But, I grew, but that one the relationship my mum pursued turned violent. 
I was picked up in the middle of the night and run out of the house and that was it. We left, don't remember much about that. The stepmother and my father's relationship was extremely volatile. My stepsisters were very aggressive. Um, we get on fine now, they're a little bit odd, but very aggressive. So I just went to the, I went from this very stable situation to complete chaos for like the next 10 years of, of infighting in families and confusing relationships and many people not talking to each other. A really unsettled situation. And one of the things that I just love about God and this family that God puts me in is that God, the center of it all, is completely and utterly trustworthy, completely and utterly consistent. He keeps his promises. I love that about him. And that's one of the important things we need to think about because if you're not careful, when you read that line out of Exodus, it says, and God heard their groaning and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We think God just forgot. God just sort of forgot about it and then suddenly because of some shouting went, oh, that thing. Forgot about that because it says he remembered. That's not really what the word means. It's, it's more, the best definition of it is he fulfilled it. He acted upon it. He never forgot what he said, but this moment, this word remembered means this is the moment I'm going to act upon it. That promise I made all those years ago, now I will act upon it. And why does he refer, reference Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? It's, it's, it's the, 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 I know this promise has been consistent throughout the generations. Now, we're praying that we don't have to wait 400 years to see the things of God promises, but he's saying, look, I've made a promise way back then, Abraham, then through Isaac, then through Jacob, and here it comes. I never forgot. I'm just acting upon it now. He makes good on his covenants, and covenant is really what the heart of Exodus is all about. So, he's also an unchangeable God. So he is reassuringly, kind of a similar point, I guess, reassuringly unchangeable. I don't know about you, but one of the greatest joys for me and, and one I have to force myself to accept and, and study into, in fact, and been helped a lot by recent sort of courses that we're on, is that God does not change. We want to believe he does, but he does not change. He's not just reliable, he is unchanging. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. When we went into the, uh, the hub, the, the church at Fuller Way, above the stage was, a, was it said, Jesus Christ, the same uh, yesterday, today, and forever. The wire had kind of come off and someone then stuck a wire over, the, a wire over it. But, uh, but Becky West um, put that on a mirror for us. So there's a mirror now with those words. They came off the top of the stage and she put them there. And, a, and it's just there when you walk in and out the door now, as you see it again. It's like, you say it like, oh yeah, but that is... That's, that's, a, that's a huge truth about God. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And if we think like that, then the more that we study God and we go back into that thing called the Old Testament, which, which not much of us do enough, then we learn m many things about God's character that just layer on top of each other. It's not like he shifts and changes. It's like there he was, and every time we read something, it's another layer of understanding just who he is. Because he does not change. Alan Cole, in his book on Exodus, says, Anything learned about him from his past relationship with men will equally be valid for present and future relationships. So as we look at him in Exodus, we're not looking at a God of the Old Testament and there's a different one in the New, which I think I, can slip in, I slipped into as a young Christian. 
that kind of there was this God of wrath and now there's this God of love, like he changed somewhere along the way. I'll come back to that in a minute. I think it's an interesting thing to explore. But let me just share some scriptures with you because I, I want to share for I'm just going to rattle them off because Malachi 3.6, our inconsistency is put up against his consistency. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, of Jacob, sorry, are not consumed. Revelation 1.8, he declares the timeless nature of his existence. He's not evolving and changing. He says, I'm the Alpha and the Omega. That's the beginning and the end. I am I'm all. I am beyond time. I was here before the world began and I am, will be there beyond it. I am the beginning and I am the end. The who was, who is and was and is to come. I was, I am, I am to come. I'm I'm timeless, I am always there, and I am unchanging. Indulge me for a couple more. James 1.17, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. And Psalm 90, Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting you were God. This exemplifies his nature, that he is unchanging. And I'm going to tread on something that's a tricky space to go into, but why not? A God of wrath. A wrath, depending on how you want to say it. It's a tricky area to think about. Does God change? Because that's what we'd like to think. That he was once a God of wrath and now he's not. And in fact, in Ephesians 2, we did a, we did a really good series once on Ephesians and I just want to read this bit out of Ephesians 2. And, um, and you were dead, that's us, were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, amongst whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath. Like the rest of mankind... But God, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. That's Ephesians after Jesus. God's wrath towards us has not changed. His mind has not changed. That's what the world wants to believe. That's what sometimes we can purvey, that somehow God has gone soft on things. That he has relaxed his rules and has now become a different kind of God, who doesn't say that is wrong, that is unholy, and that separates you from me. Which is why sin is now the name of ice cream, because it's not that bad. And that's a danger in our, our walk as Christians, and our passion and desire to share the gospel is destroyed when God has gone soft. Because he is holy and holiness does not change. He is holy and we are not. He is perfect and we're far from it. And yet we like Morgan Freeman to be God. He's so Evan Almighty. In that one, Morgan Freeman brings, brings Evan's wife chips. He says, enjoy the chips. It just, it's so nice. Because that God is not going to deal with, he's not really dealing with the sins of any individual. He's just this nice, easygoing, 
would love to have him around for tea and chat to him about a few things Morgan Freeman style. And like I said, I would stumble and fumble. I would often, in my early days as a Christian, would sort of, you know, if someone said to me, how come God would do this? How come God would, would allow that to happen? I would stumble and say, well, that's old covenant thinking. You know, we've got this new covenant. We've got Jesus. And that implied, like I say, that he's somehow changed. And that's, that's just not helpful, I don't think. It doesn't inspire us or motivate us enough to want to share the gospel because we all sin and fall short of the holiness of God. That's the truth. We all sin and we all fall short. So have we stopped sinning? Do we now sin less than we once did? Come on, let's be serious here. Do we, do we sin now less than we once did? Of course we don't. In fact, in our culture, it may be more pervasive than ever. There was 10 commandments given to Moses. I won't rush ahead in the story, of course, but there were 10 commandments given to say, look, I'm just going to give you the fundamentals here. Just going to give you 10 things that you shouldn't do that just exemplify how you can offend me, how you can get my wrath. That they, these are the 10. And you think, oh, yeah, well, I didn't murder anyone. Okay, don't cover I don't want things that other people have got. Yeah? These things, these, these, the, they were just 10 things to say. And then more comes, more laws come to say, look, this is what it looks like if you want to try and be holy. This is what you'd have to do to, to restore the damage that you're doing. And we can't do it. The, the laws, the commandments, they point out our weaknesses. They even more emphasize our flaws. And yet God at that time made a way to atone. He said, look, you're going to do these things wrong and, and you will sacrifice animals to say we acknowledge our sin and animal sacrifices happened. That's this, uh, we acknowledge our failings and we are paying for them in this way. We are sacrificing to you. And, and there was other ways to do that. We are recognizing our sin. And what we've learned through history is we just couldn't stop sinning. sinning. So that would just keep going on forever and ever and ever. We just keep doing that. God moves in and he makes this, this perfect moment in history. After we've learned enough about our failings, he says, right, now I'm sending the one sacrifice for all sin. Now I'm going to fulfill that promise. Now I'm going to act. One sin, one sacrifice for all sin. Don't need to do that anymore because one is going to come. That's Jesus Christ, the sacrifice for all sin the only human who ever lived a perfect life in perfect keeping with the law is going to be sacrificed to pay for our sin so did God's wrath change no God's wrath is placed on his shoulders God's wrath and righteous frustration with us and all the things that we can do wrong in our life is placed on the shoulders of the perfect one on Jesus's shoulders and it says right you don't have to do that anymore I'm still the same I don't I hate sin but I'm putting it on the shoulders of this one Jesus Christ we needed a savior and he sent him he's Jesus Christ so how do we respond to all of this we invest in the relationship we invest we respond to a constantly attentive, totally trustworthy, reassuringly unchanging God. Firstly, we enjoy the relationship. We enjoy it. We have to accept that Jesus Christ is the sacrifice for our sins, that he is our Lord and Savior. He's the one. Even if you're someone who says, I've kind of done that, sort of, I would say, no, there needs to be a confession with your mouth. No, he is the sacrifice for my sins. He is the one who has come to set me free. We do that first. Secondly, we get to know him. 
We get to know him. We invest in the relationship. Because if we don't deepen our knowledge, we're not investing in this amazing relationship that is offered. And so reading your word, reading your Bible, isn't the, uh, that's how you get good with God. Sorry, I know it's a bit boring, but give it a go. That's not what it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be, as I read this, I get to invest and understand more of who it is that I worship, more of who it is, that, or more of the nature and character of God. The Bible is not the punishment, it's a gift. It's a gift of the way that God reveals himself to us. And that's why we come in on a Sunday to hear someone like me prattle on for 35 minutes, because I'm trying to hopefully get us inspired, excited, and reveal a little bit more of the nature and character of God. It's a gift. He reveals himself to us. And that should lead, therefore lead into, so we accept that he sent Jesus Christ. We get to know him better. And that should lead into something which is critical. The third point, which in my humble view is the most critical part of what we can do in the relationship. And it's the thing that causes most couples trouble, most family troubles, most friendships trouble. It is we need to communicate. We need to talk to God. We need to exchange with God. And I don't know about you, but if I said to you, you know, we, we, I, I think we could be great friends. And every time I sat down with you, I said, look, I've got about two minutes. I just want to tell you a bunch of things that I need to, you to do. And then I'm off. Not really investing in the relationship much. I don't think we'd be friends for very long. This critical part of the relationship is prayer. It is that we have this opportunity to pray and God will hear us. He will hear you when you pray. And he will respond in some way. Now, some of that has been said many times this morning. It's in his timing and therefore we're frustrated by it. But we have to believe that, yeah, in your timing, God. Other things he answers immediately. And I think we downplay the immediate things and we upplay the long, the delayed things. Because I'm sure all of us can speak of moments where God just answered like, so on the moment, he just did something. But that's what I think Matt was bringing. They can get overshadowed by things where we're thinking, well, God's not really coming through on this thing I was expecting him to do or even this deal. We can communicate because of the sacrifice of Jesus, the agency of the Holy Spirit, we can communicate with God and he hears us. Prayer is the critical part, or a critical part, and I think one of the most critical parts of how we develop this relationship. Because one of the things that should blow you away about the Christian faith and if you want to study other faiths, it'll blow you away more and more once you realize it. This is a relationship. This isn't us fulfilling a bunch of rules and hoping at the end of it we pass the grade. This is a relationship with the living God. And if you want to enjoy a relationship, we need to communicate. So I want to just give us an opportunity to respond today um we like it's been said we've got a prayer team up the back and they'd love to pray with you i think there's three things i want to just encourage you to to think about one is to go up for prayer for prayer because michael eaton was here once i don't know if you know who michael eaton was but he was a he was a theologian and an author and he used to come and we had a connection with him and he came to our church once and he shared about how difficult his prayer life could get sometimes it just blocked so difficult there's an enemy that loves to stop us praying, likes to, likes to thwart your prayer life. And some of us struggle to pray at the moment. I know because I've stood in enough circles where it seems to be, I'll do it then. So I know that we struggle to pray. There might be some embarrassment in there, that's not of God. It might be that the relationship's so fragmented that really on a Sunday when I'm stood in a circle with a bunch of people, I'm not going to pray because I don't do that anyway. 
I haven't developed the relationship in that way. So if you feel blocked in your prayer life, I know the prayer team would love to pray for you for prayer to help reveal that and get rid of those things that hinder your prayer life. The other thing is to go forward and get prayed for if you don't know Jesus at all and you'd like to know him. They'd love to pray with you about that. Or if you say, yes, I, I'm aware of Jesus and I think he's pretty cool, but I've never actually said, would you come into my life? Would you be my Lord and be my saviour? So those two things I think are the critical two. Let me pray for us. Um, stay seated, it's, it's alright sometimes we all have to stand but I think it's good if we just stay where we are let God minister to us where we are Father God we, we love you we love who you are when we look at your nature when we look at your character when we look at who you are we, we're kind of, hopefully this morning we're a bit more blown away than we normally are by just exactly who it is that you are this, this incredible, unchanging, constantly attentive grace-saturated God who turns up at just the right moment, who, who looks upon our failures and says, I will find a way to make that right. You are this loving God, righteously frustrated with us at times, righteously have wrath upon us, and yet you've placed that on the shoulders of your son, Jesus. And we are, we're just stunned by how incredible and amazing you are. I pray, Father God, that we are a people that start to say, look, I know I want to invest in this relationship. I want to put time in. I want to, I want to know you better and I, and I want to communicate with you. And, and whatever it is that blocks that and bars that from our lives, I pray you reveal that. And I pray those that go with the courage to go forward to prayer today, I pray that by your spirit you reveal and you open up those things that's, that need to change. Because you're amazing. Because you are awesome. Because you are just the definition of awesome. If there's a word that exists in the English language that's close enough, it's awesome. We stand in awe of you, your majesty, your perfection and your grace, your incredible plans, your amazing timing, your rescuing heart, your covenanting behaviors, your desire to dwell with us, to be with us is just stunning. And I pray that we're a bunch of people that say, I want to I wanna talk to that person again. I want to be in a, a conversation with him again. And I pray that we are, we are desiring of that, Father God, above many other things in our lives, Father. We're all rushed. We're all struggling. We're all running from one thing to another to another. And yet if there's one relationship we can invest in and see incredible, eternal, life-changing uh, returns, and it is investing in the relationship that you have offered to us. I pray, Father God, we're a people that pray. I pray that something shifts in the prayer life of this church. We've, we've prayed and seen an incredible shift in the worship life of this church recently. We want to, I want to say the same for our prayer life. Individually, in small groups, corporately as a church. That when we come together to pray, we're not praying saying, I'm, I'm waiting for an instant result here. We're praying in faith. As Gareth shared, in faith that you are hearing us, that you are listening, that you are putting things in place, that you're working things through in our personal lives, in the lives of this church, this town, and this nation. We put our trust in you. But Father, I pray that each and every one of us, me included, are hungry to take every blessing and every opportunity that you have offered by saying you want to know us, you're mindful of us, and you care for us. You're an amazing God and we love you. Amen. Amen.